Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. Osiris. Welcome to Wheels Off, a show about the messy reality of the creative life. I'm Rhett Miller. That's when it got wheels off. We started up and we ain't gonna stop. Oh, I like you, like it not. That's when it got wheels off. You guys, I am so excited about this Wheels Off. It's crazy. You know that in these wheels off interviews, I don't just speak with songwriters by any means. I'll speak with musicians, play-by-play sportscasters, painters, novelists, actors. But I do speak with songwriters. And because I have devoted my life to the discipline of songwriting, sometimes I get a little extra jazzed when I do speak with a songwriter. I've never spoken with a songwriter like this. There isn't another songwriter like this. This week's episode of Wheels Off is a conversation with Jeff Berry, a Brooklyn-born songwriter, producer, record label owner. I can't even begin to name off the dozens and dozens of hit songs that he wrote. Do I Diddy, To Do Run Run, Then He Kissed Me, Be My Baby, Chapel of Love, River Deep, Mountain High, Leader of the Pack, Sugar Sugar, and on and on and on. I'm a believer for the monkeys. Yeah, Jeff Berry has been around the block and lived to tell the tale. He holds forth during this conversation about songwriting in a way that I don't think I've ever really kind of gotten into the weeds of it like this in any of my other Wheels Off interviews. We get a little bit wonky. I hope everybody's cool with that. God knows I am. I could have spoken to him for, I don't know, three hours. This is about one hour long, the conversation you're about to hear, maybe a little less, but man, it was all I could do to cut it off when I did. Uh, This guy, he's greatness, but he's also really sweet and funny and down to earth and nice and cool and generous, as are so many of my guests on Wheels Off. And um, boy, I feel really lucky that I got to speak with him. And I'm sure you're gonna enjoy this. Please welcome to Wheels Off, Jeff Berry. Welcome to Wheels Off, Jeff Barry. Thank you so much for joining me. Well, Rhett, it's an absolute pleasure on this holiday weekend. I know, right? Um, For the edification of our listeners, uh, where are you right now? I am in Los Angeles, up in uh, Laurel Canyon, as a matter of fact. Nice. How long have you been in in that spot, in Laurel Canyon? Uh, This spot, not that long, actually, but... uh, in, in L.A. in general since the early 70s. Wow. Um, and I bet it's really beautiful for what it's worth. 
It uh, it really is. It's you know the birds are chirping and the squirrels are running around and uh, let's put it this way: it could be worse. <laughs> um, well, Jeff, what creative project are you working on these days, and uh, and how does it light you up? Well, um, making up stuff is uh, is the best. That's the best job in the world. I mean. Uh, it's just fun to, I mean, I guess at my, the core of my soul, I'm an inventor. And, uh, you know, which I am, I invent. I mean, I, I, one of the things I've been working on is a, a, a new kind of a wheelchair, actually. Wow. Wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Before I, uh, I knew I could actually make a, a living at something I really wanted to do. I was uh, studying to be a uh, industrial designer. So, you know, inventing, you know, I invent songs and I invent stories and stuff. So I'm working on some TV and film projects and uh, some musical, of course, projects as well from live stage shows to uh, my, my older son, John is kind of, Mr. Animation now, and he's uh, he's kind of that hot guy in animation. So he calls me, says, "Hey, Pop, you want to do the music to his show?" You know, so <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm I'm writing another music with him for um, and some animated stuff, and you know, there's there's always things to do. Funny one uh, one thing that comes up a lot in these conversations is the idea of there is nothing and then there is something and usually the something that that I'm talking about with guests is you know like a painting or a song or whatever um, but the idea of you designing a wheelchair is so cool to me one of my earliest guests um, Eric Hawk is the guitar player uh, in a band. Um, in a band Jesus, that I'm blanking on. Oh, uh, that I'm blanking on the name of right now. Um, anyway, he is, um, he's in a wheelchair. And so one of his big causes is accessibility. And so he's constantly, you know, having to fight with, um, you know, these places that just don't make, you know, they're, they're really cool stuff. Like he wanted to go to a concert the other day and he realized that I think it was the Staples Center just had no open wheelchair accessibility. And he's like, what, what do you I doing? thought it was a law. Yeah, I did too. I think, I think it's because of the COVID restrictions and as they open back up, only certain areas are open. And listen, I may be besmirching the Staples Center. It might've been a different large, you know, public place for concerts, but yeah. So he's constantly working about that. What, what brought you to that, to the wheelchair? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Seriously, you know, um, <clears throat> the other day when we spoke, you you had said something about the creative process. Mm -hmm. Maybe wanting to chat about that. Yeah. And, and uh, when I thought about it, you know, when people people will ask me from time to time, like, you know, where where do you get the ideas from? And um, I like to tell a story I've told many times, but I, I think it's kind of cool. Uh, the story about the the centipede and the spider. Do you know happen to know that one? No. Well, so the centipede's walking along with his hundred legs, 
And a spider comes up to him and says, uh, hey, dude, uh, you got a second? I want to talk to you a second. And Centipede stops and says, uh, yeah, sure, what's up? And the spider says, look, I've got eight legs. And I'm always like thinking, okay, the second from the back. Although, yeah, this way. You know, and it's like, sometimes it gets me crazy. And you have a hundred legs. How do, you, how do you do it? And a centipede thought, and he thought, and he thought, and he never moved again. <laughs> so when people say, where do you get the ideas? It's like, I don't know. And I don't really, <laughs> I'm afraid to think about it. <laughs> Like you don't want to look a gift horse in the mouth or, well, you know, all of a sudden I may never get another idea. You know, it's like when, when you think about breathing, you, you can't breathe. You know, <laughs> you start to breathe weird. Let's put it that way. That's true. Oh, it's, I guess that's what, like the times I've tried to act. Like, I don't know if you've ever tried that very much. It's a very weird discipline. I've actually acted in a couple of films. Okay, so I imagine that you're being, you know, having seen some pictures and video of you, 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 you seem like a really cool, like, uh, self-assured guy. I can imagine acting might come easily. When I've tried it, it's that thing. I end up going, what do I do with my hands? You know, why, why is my face like this? Yeah, well, that's it. You can't, you can't really think about anything except, you know, when I, uh, singers do that too. And when I'm producing an artist that needs to be told, I say, look, trust me, your brain and your throat have a deal. You, you're going to sing the melody. Don't worry about that. Sing the words, not the notes. And, and many times the light goes on, and, and it's a whole different performance. And I say, don't sing for other singers. Don't, don't just Tell the story, sing to someone, but sing the words. Tell the story. That's where the emotion is. Don't show off as a vocalist. That'll all come naturally as you singing. And, and besides, we'll comp the best performance, you know? I love that. I, that's a great way to think of it. Like, just don't get in your own way. Yeah. I mean, the, the, all, all art, as far as I'm concerned, is about one thing. And that is creating emotion. There's an old showbiz adage that says, <clears throat> if you leave them like you found them, you blew it. <laughs> I Isn't love that, that. Isn't that good? That's There's an old Chinese for proverb. Uh, I'm sorry, curse. <laughs> an old Chinese curse that says, you want to curse somebody, say, may you live in interesting times. <laughs> so we're all friggin' cursed right now. I know. I know. But, but anyway, um, uh, the other one is, is, is pretty accurate. You know, people, people want to be, uh, we call it entertainment, but that's, that's getting to there, making them feel something. You got to make them feel something. You know, make them laugh, make them cry, make them mad. You know, the last thing you want to do is make them pissed off that they spent the money to, to go into the theater and park the car and have dinner out and they hate the movie, you know. God, there was I was hearing something about um, uh, either the writing and recording of River, River Deep Mountain High, right? Yeah. 
And um, there was just, there was something about like the way that you wrote most of the lyrics, but then I guess Phil Spector and Ellie Green Greenwich came up with different parts of the melody. But there was, there was a lot uh, said about that song in that it was really like a really tricky, weird, complicated, musically and lyrically, there was just a lot going on. And I feel like there was a strong reaction to that song. Do you think that uh, speaks yeah, to that? Yeah, that's very interesting that you say you, you heard these things. I read them, I read them in books. All right, yeah, yeah. But I mean, who, if you remember, what was the source? I mean, there were three people in the room. Sure. Writing the song and no one else was a witness or, you know, so where where do these, you know, strange yeah right um, scenarios come from? I mean, I think that was uh, from a uh, Phil Spector biography, uh, tear, tearing down the wall of sound. But I think that might also have been very much like an outsider looking in and trying to, after the fact, you know, do a post mortem on the song and figure out what was happening. Well. <laughs> You know, it's it's kind of funny, but for the record, you know, I mean, it's like when when Ellie passed on uh, the uh, in the in the New York Times, a woman wrote a little obituary and said how amazing it is that she was so good at capturing the the teenage heart and and mind and emotions in her lyrics. <laughs> And I was tempted to contact this person and say, excuse me, I was writing the lyrics. <laughs> oh, but, my God. Yeah. But, um, okay, River Deep Mountain High. Here's probably the most interesting thing about River Deep Mountain High, the writing of it. Um, you know, Phil, Phil was, at times, can be difficult. And uh, he uh, and I and I would never take any shit from him. And he would come to New York, and he had some office on the, on the east side. And Ellie and I were living on the west side, next to the Dakota. And um, we would go over there. And, you know, supposed to be there at one, and we'd get there at one, and invariably he'd keep us waiting. You know, and after a couple of times, I told his assistant um tell him we're here and it's got five minutes and then i'm, I'm out of here so sure enough of course so i left we left and wouldn't i thought no way you feel not going back so he had to come to our place to write river deep mountain high and <laughs> it was in the winter i remember he showed up and we at the apartment, and he had mittens on, and the mittens were clipped to the cuffs of his coat. <laughs> anyway, that, that's probably the most interesting <laughs> behind-the-scenes fact about River Deep Mountain High. But uh, the, other, the other interesting fact might be, I mean, I, and again, I know there are people who are just so into the little you know, minutiae, interesting little behind-the-scenes uh, member, not uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, a nostalgia, and uh, no, it, it'll come anyway. Um, that's the only song, and, and you know, and uh, that we wrote with Phil, or that I wrote with Phil, 
that was written for a specific artist. All the other songs um, were whoever's up next for, for an act, for a record release, really. I mean, we were just, you know, knocking off these uh, naive little Be My Babies and, you know. Yeah. The do run runs and so on, but that one is rangier, and um, it was Tina Turner. You know, it was uh, yeah. an opportunity to to really do something special. And um, but um, what did you hear again? It it was oh, I, I just I, it, difficult or no? Well, I mean, one thing that comes up a lot in these conversations is the idea of collaboration. You know, and I think about your early career and I think about the just the amount of collaboration that you did, you know, before you were 30 years old and the different characters that you collaborated with. And and with I guess specifically with that song, it was there was some push pull in terms of, uh, I guess, Phil had brought in one section musically and Ellie brought in another section musically. And um, and, the you know, the way that the the lyric is this really like kind of deep like weird maybe for its time lyric and the way the whole thing works together to create this sort of masterpiece. But I, the push pull element of the collaboration is sort of what spoke to me because sometimes I feel like maybe good things can come out of, you know, that sort of uh, dynamic. Well, um, I would need to read, <laughs> you know, what, what, Phil had to say, but um, first of all, you know, the, the 60s is, is a bit of a creative blur, and you know, it was just crazy. And of course, the mid-60s was the peak of the crazy graph. Yeah. And there, there was, I mean, it was right, you know, just writing with Phil at the same time, uh, we had Redbird Records. Mm-hmm which some say was the most successful independent label ever, if you go by the number of releases to the number of chart records. Yeah. I think it was 19 releases and 17 chart records. Wow. And, you know, I wrote and or produced everything on the label. So that's going on, writing with, with Phil, and then, you know, getting into the me doing the Archies and the monkeys and God knows what else is going on. <laughs> Literally crazy time. So I wonder, like, cause that you were, you were young. Um, and I, and I hear you talk about when you went to school thinking that you were going to be doing something that was like a really mechanical, technical, inventive thing. I yeah. want, I wonder, was there a moment where you realized um, specifically with music, like this is going to be, my life. I am going to be a musician. I'm going to be a songwriter, a producer. Was there an epiphany moment when you were really young or was it all just, I'm going to create whatever comes into my brain? Well, I mean, it was definitely, you know, at that time, <clears throat> um, I, I like to say when I graduated from high school, that quote songwriter was not on the list of possible occupations. You know, it just, living in Brooklyn at that time, it was, you, you go to school, you go to college, you try to get an education and you become a professional at something. And, and that was kind of the way to go. Although I, 
I was always drawn to performing and and music and and making up stuff. Yeah. Not just inventing stuff, but stories and so on. But uh, epiphany, no. I've always been drawn to, as a matter of fact, when I first came into the uh, the music industry, it was to be a performer. Huh. Not necessarily, uh, you know, a songwriter or, or a record producer at all. And um, it just developed into that. But when I realized that I could and subsequently did quit college was when um, when I finally got in front of someone in the industry uh, as someone who was willing to listen to see if the kid can sing or not, he happened to be a music publisher and uh, he's doing a favor for someone in the family. <laughs> and, um, you know, the idea being if, he, if I could sing, he would introduce me to some record types. And um, the only thing I could sing were songs I wrote, because I certainly couldn't play anybody else's songs, because I'm not really a musician. Musician is a very respected word to me. To me, it means someone who can play at least one instrument really well. And that ain't me. I mean, I've written songs myself, but they'll be, you know, basically not what I call, you know, pinky move chords. They're going to be pretty much standard three, four chord progressions, which is, you know, nothing really wrong with that. But um, I played, and at the time, I think I was really strong with two chords. I think it was C to G. But, <laughs> but I could make up stories and melodies, I mean, of the three parts to a song. When I, when I write, I don't write words down. I, I, I sing them and then write them down when they're, you know. So it's, it's, I write lyric and melody. Lyric first, melody second, and chords a distant third. Invariably, I choose to write with, you know, some Juilliard types who know all the chords. <laughs> and, um, so I sang these little songs with my two chords, and he said, well, you know, if I ever do the movie of my life, the scene will go like, he said, yeah, kid, you sing fine, but one of those songs you're singing, you know? I don't know why he sounds like Mae West. But. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I said, I, you know, I made them up, you know. Anyway, fade out, fade in. He, uh, he said... Uh, so you don't know, you only know two chords. I said, yeah, pretty much. He said, I'll tell you what, I'll put you with some people who know chords. And he did. He put me with Ben Raleigh, who I wrote my first big hit with, which was Tell Laura I Love Her. And he put me with Beverly Ross, who wrote Lollipop and some other songs. And, um, and then he, he you know, offered me a staff songwriting, you know, to be a, sign me as a songwriter. So I quit college and, and did that. So I never really got around. And I did, he did put me with RCA. And I did make a couple of really, really weak records with uh, 
two producers over there named Hugo and Luigi. That's <laughs> <laughs> oh, great, man. They had an office with two desks that were facing each other and against each other, pressed against big desks. So they were facing each other in the middle of the room. It was kind of weird. Um, but they were, they produced my first big hit, which was uh, Tell Laura I Love Her. They called the publisher to see if, you know, he had any songs specifically from me for, for Ray Peterson. And I had just finished Tell Laura I Love Her. And uh, so that was, you know, a, my first you know, top 10 big hit. And then when they, Hugo and Luigi, when RCA signed uh, Sam Cooke, when he got off his little label in the South, um, <clears throat> it was a big deal. And he, he called uh, the publisher to see if the kid had any songs. And I had just finished a ballad I wrote myself, you know, based on roughly Moonlight Sonata. Wow. And um, melodically. And it's a slow, laboriously slow, corny as can be ballad. I mean, with lines in it like, my lips can only tissue, they can't explain how you make me feel. And, that's you know, not bad, though. That's actually, I think that's kind oh, of great. It's not bad. <laughs> But the opening line is, here, here in the moonlight, hold me while I sing to you. My teenage sonata, which is the name of the song, teenage sonata, mm -hmm. of my love, eternally true. I mean, give me a break. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, Jeff. That's so here, here's the scene. Great. Here's the scene that I will, as a matter of fact, I am at this time in my life, finally writing it all down for a book, probably. Um, so we get this call. He gets the call from Hugo and Luigi. Does, do I have any, does he have anything for Sam Cooke? And I had just finished the song, did not have a demo. And uh, his name, my publisher's name is Arnold Shaw. And Arnold said, uh, yeah, well, he just finished some ballad. And, you know, they're all great. We could use a ballad. So we get, in a, we get in a cab from 52nd Street and we go down to 24th Street, RCA, to Hugo and Luigi's office. And there's Sam Cooke with his little entourage, or maybe one or two people, Hugo and Luigi, myself, and the publisher, and an upright piano. And I am, as I say, not a musician. And uh, so... And when I'm concentrating, I'm sure my tongue is sticking out while I'm playing. Anyway, so here I am with this new song, sitting at this upright piano, and I play this ballad. Here, here in the moonlight, hold me while I sing to you. And it goes on. And I finish it, and I turn around on the piano bench, and Arnold Shaw, my publisher, says, anybody want to hear it again? And Sam Cooke says, yeah, I want to hear it again. Nice. I turn, isn't that cool? I turn around and I play it again. He records it, and it's his first single for mm. RCA. Wow. And it's this, you know, dunk, 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 dunk. <laughs> so they, I don't know why they even put it out first. And it's, it's Sam Cooke, man. And so it's going up the charts. 
at the same pace of the tempo of the record, like creeping up the charts. I think I got to top 30. And I picture RCA like going, we can't stand it anymore. So they quickly put out some up-tempo, you know, thing. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I did actually have a record by, and you know, and it, it's amazing to, when you hear a performance by a classic, what he did with that song. I mean, and I, 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 I produced Dusty Springfield and, and uh, uh, Johnny Mathis. And when you hear those kinds of talent and voices sing a song that you sang to them and taught them, and it comes back out of that throat and mind, and, and it's like, holy shit. Well, take out the shit part. No, that's all right. <laughs> That's got to be an incredible feeling, Jeff. It's 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 really great. It's funny. Yeah. I I I found some video of um of Neil Sedaka talking about stuff. In fact, I've watched a few videos of him describing songwriting, and I feel like every single interview he always makes a point to say, you know, anybody can sit there and play Chopin, but to 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 play your own song, to hear your own music coming out of the radio, that's really something. Yeah. Uh, oh my gosh. Wow. Um, I wonder, like to me, you seem, I, by the way, for the record, I could ask you right now a half hour to three hours worth of questions just about songwriting stuff. In fact, before I move on, let me just ask you one thing that I, I think about a lot with your stuff. You, um, I've heard, I've, I've read places where you've talked about early on, especially you had a rule where you, I'm not going to get it right, but it was something about like, keep it simple, keep it simple. Like that was a mantra for you. Is that right? Um, uh, it sounds like me, but I, uh, keep it simple. Um, well, I, 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 I have said things like, you know, I'm not big on metaphors. I, mm -hmm. I, and I always add, um, I'm, I don't even do meta three, but, uh, <laughs> Um, so, uh, okay, I, I, I'm trying not to be too wonky, but one thing is early on, it seemed like a lot of the hits you had were really pretty upbeat, like really happy. Um, in fact, maybe that's what I'm thinking of. It was one of the main quotes was that you wanted songs that made people feel good and kind of seemed pretty happy. Um, anyway, I, I wonder though, because with all of these songs of yours, that you know, pretty upbeat stuff, like really fun, jumpy stuff. The same time you described that uh, Sam Cooke song, um, obviously, um, you know, with the with the Righteous Brothers, obviously that's um, you know the 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 biggest selling song of all time. That's that's as ballad as it gets, right? Which one? Um, I'm now I'm blanking on the ballad. Are you talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you talking uh, about? Yeah, lost kiss lost You've lost. Yes. That's Barry Manson for a while. You didn't write that? Oh shit, Je Jeff! I'm gonna go back and ask my people to cut that out so I don't sound like an idiot. Um, okay. I wish, I wish I had written that. I know. Um, okay, so God, sorry. Uh, I should have trusted my instinct and gone straight on to the next thing, which is this: um, when you encounter internally generated obstacles, like to me, you seem like a really 
just a really uh, self-possessed guy. Like you don't seem like you're maybe the tortured artist that some of the people with whom I speak are. But um, but I don't know any artist that doesn't deal with some version of self-doubt or imposter syndrome or success guilt has come up. Like these things that kind of keep us from creating in the way that we were meant to, you know, the obstacles that we put up in our own minds. Um, do you, uh, do you have any tricks? Have you figured anything out ways around that for yourself? Well, I, I don't know if I have a, that to get around. That's I mean, great. I'm not quite sure. Um, what tortured artist really means. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I mean, I, I just, the songs that are what I call a more adult, mm -hmm. obvious pop hits, people you know, kind of don't realize that I've had a whole bunch of country hits. And that's where, when I, I, I say when I have an adult thought, I write a country song. But um, that's where I have the, the songs about cheating and love lost and all the adult, darker stuff. Um, people don't know about the country hits, but... Uh, it, so, I mean, I guess then maybe... It's not tortured. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, we all have... We're, we're all human and we all have negatives, negative events in our lives, etc. Uh, certainly I've had my share. Um, but um, creating is a place to go to, to get away from all that. It, it, when you're focused on creating, uh, you're not thinking about anything else, really. It, you know, you can block out, it, it blocks out every other thought. If you're doing it right, you, you're, you're, it's problem solving. That's what, that's what it is. What's the next word? What's the next note? It's probably a painter, you know, which brush do you pick up? And what do you dip it into? And how long is the stroke? And it's all little mini problem solving to solve the big problem and end up with a painting. I mean, imagine being an artist, a painter. You have to paint something so appealing and to create enough emotion that someone wants to buy it and hang it on the wall where they live. You know, and as a songwriter, you have to create a song that someone wants to, if you're not a producer, I mean, I was fortunate enough to just, you know, I screw it, I'll make my own records. But um, where, where someone wants to not only record it, but then put it out there representing them as an artist. And then it has to be good enough to get played and then good enough for people to want to buy and own that record. But again, it all starts with a song, you know, for the record industry. And uh, this you know, same in film. It, 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 it's, uh, it, it, you really need, when you're, so when you're writing that screenplay and painting that painting and, sculpting that sculpture and writing that song, you're concentrating on what you're doing. 
And uh, so to me, that's, you know, it's, it's just a great, and, and, and it's amazing that, of course, you know, astro the, uh, mathematically, the, the combinations of notes is astronomical. And um, when, I, when I address songwriting classes, I say, look, it's, what's the problem? You, you, we all have identical, we're all born with the identical set of emotions, unless you're a psychopath or some other malfunction of the brain. But those people aside, most people are the big fat middle of the football. We all have the, the average normal brain is comes comes with the identical set of emotions, period. And as a matter of fact, those emotions are identically manifested in the face. Even when they find people who have never met any other peoples, some tribe in the Congo, for instance, a smile is a smile, and the facial expressions re representing every single emotion are identical to the people who discovered them in the in the Congo. So. It's, it's not a problem. If, if it moves you, it's going to move them. And so, you know, move yourself, entertain yourself, sing and write about what moves you and, or make up stuff based on what moves you. But um, so I say, we, we know, I say to the class, so don't worry about it. We all have the same emotions. So, Here's a book with all your lyrics in it. It's called a dictionary. <laughs> Most pop hits are in an octave. Certainly not much more. So you got 12 notes to work with. And if you're in the key of C, there's going to be a G and an F in there somewhere too. So and there's plenty of books on chord progressions. So what's the problem? <laughs> you got all your parts that you're going to need, go write a song. Boy, you make it sound so easy. <laughs> you know, but it, 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 it's, it's interesting when you break it down to that. But then, you know, go try to find something that, as a lyricist, that uh, hasn't been said before, you know. It, it, oh, and the other thing is, probably 99 out of 100 songs on the top 100 have something to do with um, what we call love, or at least, you know, human, human interaction. And, and the last one has to do with, I don't know what, world peace. But um, <laughs> so, but no, I mean, I'm not, I'm not putting down world peace, of course, it's, it would be uh, as impossible as it probably is. But um, that's one of the other instincts we have to kind of grow out of this urge to kill one another. But um, so, you know, you got to write about love. So there's your subject matter, or at least the human condition, mm -hmm. but you got to write about and you know about it from your own experience or what you wish or what you're going to make up. So go write the songs, but can you find a way to something about this human condition called love that hasn't been a new angle, a new way to discuss it? And uh, 
that's that's the lyric challenge to me. I mean, I've I've been able to do it. I think three times, but I never can remember the third one. I I once had it, but I did it twice. A song called "I Honestly Love You," Olivia Newton-John. Oh, I love that song. Yeah, that was song of the year, and um, I realized later on I didn't make the record. I wish I did, but the the record doesn't have a bass or drums on it. Wow. Yeah, and I think that's because. Um, the label didn't really want her to record it. <laughs> she was having all these, you know, great hits with these mid to up tempo, you know, songs. And um, someone in the publishing department, I made a demo. I wrote, I wrote it with Peter Allen, mm-hmm. and I was going to produce it for A and M Records. I was going to produce Peter, and that's why I wrote that song with him for him. And it's a very, he, he's a great, great musician. He was at the piano in my office and I listened to all his great songs, but I didn't hear anything radio. And I had started on a song that, and I had the opening. I had, you know, maybe I hang around here a little more than I should. We both know I got somewhere else to go. Anyway, but to me, it sounded like a three chord country song almost, but I, I liked the idea of it. And I sang that to him, and he started playing these chords to it. And I go, holy whoa! That... <laughs> anyway, we we wrote we wrote it for him, and I knew I needed some kind of a demo to work with an arranger because we definitely got to have strings and so on. So I brought him in the studio, and he played and sang at the same time, just to have it on literally on record and someone in the publishing department was going to play songs for olivia because she was coming up for a new album so they saw the demo without asking they took it and played it for her and they came back and they said oh olivia loves your song she wants to cut it what song and i said no 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 (laughs) I'm, i'm doing that with peter so, but I, I realized that, you know, he was an unknown at the time. I said, I said, Peter, look, it's your, your call. You can let her, we can let her record it. And if she has a hit with it, um, then you have a career. And if she doesn't have a hit with it, or she doesn't put it out, if it doesn't come out, if it even gets released in the album, and if it doesn't come out as a single, then you can always record it but it's your call. We could tell her, no, you can't. Because the first, the first recording of any song, the, the label definitely needs permission. Once it's been recorded and released, then the next person just applies for the automatic license. Yeah. Anyway, um, so he, we, but it was really his call. It's his, it's his life. Uh, he said, okay, let's let her record it. So I'm sure I, I could just see them over at the label going, oh, my God. And I, I think they, I think John Farrar, Farrar, I'm not sure how he pronounces his last name, but he was producing her. And I, I could see them saying, look, we got to let her cut this ballad. <laughs> so just do it like the demo, which was, you know, piano and vocal. 
and and, he, and they must have told him like when you bring the strings in for the rest of the album just have him football behind her and have the, the voices just go ooh ah just get it done just and they made the perfect record it's her singing a song she absolutely loved and nothing to get in the way I, it, probably if i had recorded it at a certain point i, I probably would have started without drums and bass. And then typically at a certain point, you know, boom, 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 here comes the drum and the bass, right? Yeah. But it happened in the record. It just went on and on. And it was record of the year, obviously. So anyway, um, why, why did I get into that? What was I talking about? Oh, man. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I got to say my, my mom oh, and I. Oh, but the yeah. song itself, yes. it, it said something that was never said before in a record. And I mean, can I curse here? Yeah, How of course, about? please. Okay. <laughs> Darn. <laughs> uh, this, it, the lyric says, look, I'm not trying to fuck you. I just want you to know I love you. I honestly love you. <laughs> no one ever said that before. <laughs> no one ever said that in a song before. I mean, the bridge says, I'm not trying to make you feel uncomfortable. I'm not trying to make you anything at all. And no one ever said it. And it, oh. the other funny thing is people get married to that song. Yeah. And they, I don't, I don't know why. They, they just never listened to the last verse, which says, if we both were born in another place in time, this moment might be ending in a kiss, but there you are with yours and here I am with mine. And I guess we'll just be leaving it at this. Oh. It's two people who can't get together, can't be together. Mm. <laughs> In fact, there was a movie, the movie, uh, The Wedding Planner, where, uh, what's it, I think it's, what's her face? Uh, J-Lo, was that her? Yeah. No. yeah. yeah. Matthew McConaughey is the guy getting married, and he wants to use I Honestly Love, and she says, no, 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 two years, that's all you get. You use that for your wedding, it's a two-year, and you get <laughs> <laughs> oh that makes me so happy okay well, i said that before in a song and the other one yeah is a song is a country song that i had uh, by the bellamy brothers in in the 90s a song called i'd lie to you for your love mm. and, and, and it says uh and it, 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 no one ever said it they made a fabulous record of it it went to like number one country like overnight it just says, I watched you walk into the room. I want to say this just right. If you, uh, if you ain't waiting for somebody special, would you be with me tonight? I'm a doctor. I'm a lawyer. I'm a movie star. I'm an astronaut. And I own this bar. And I'd lie to you for your love. And that's oh, the truth. <laughs> that's so great. <laughs> and no think... one, all guys, you know, it's like whatever it takes, right? They're going to bullshit. And, but no one ever put it in a song before. Man, some of your best moments, I feel like, are where you are able to find like the humorous slant on a you know a tense romantic or human situation. Like you're a pretty funny songwriter. Yeah, I know. It, 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 I do have a sense of humor, which <laughs> I think is uh, a blessing actually, because it, it you've got to be able to find, you know, that is, is another old saying. Uh, I only know old sayings, by the way. I don't think I <laughs> they're um, the best. 
don't take life seriously or no i mean don't take life personally did you ever hear that one i like that one yeah so well that actually brings me to where we land with these conversations usually which is uh if you were to meet are we, are we landing uh, let me put my yeah exactly um if you were to run into a 21 year old jeff barry in today's world yeah. uh having to live in this messed up world of of right now but 21 years old what advice do you think you might want to give this young version of you oh boy certainly uh you know that also that that question also takes in evaluating how the actual songwriting is is the songwriting so the advice is still the same as far as sit down and and write something from the heart that you think will move the listener try to make it fresh it's going to be about love which is undefinable um you know my speech at the when i'm inducted into whatever hall of fame i'm being inducted into is i've been writing about love my whole life and i still don't know the first fucking thing about it but but who does mm. and um when i when i add that it brings everybody in the room together because nobody does even the people who meet in high school and 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 in their 90s are still happily married or at least still married they can't tell you how because you know there's 8 billion people in the world if just one figured it all out with today's communications we'd all know in in you know 2 days yeah. and all divorce attorneys would be out of business you know we here's how to find love and keep it forever you know, obviously no one's come up with that solution so i would say you know write the song that moves you you know try to make it memorable if you want to call it a hook whatever but how to get it out there now in in the technical sense in in the social media sense and how do you get to an artist sense how do you get to a producer how do you get to a and r I mean, when I came in the business, there were, I think, five major labels. You know, and in the mid-60s, I, I think I was the first independent producer to have his own studio. And now everybody has their own laptop, and you can make a, you can make a hit on a laptop. Mm -hmm. And everybody in the world is putting product out there. So that's the part that would be hard to... Maybe, and maybe it's just because I don't know what advice to give as far as once you get past the actual writing of the song and, and making a, a demo so people can hear it. But how to, how to get it to where it needs to go to, to make it possible to earn a living at doing that? Mm. That's the hard part now for me. Back then it would be, Make a, make a great demo and remember that they need your hit songs, they being the labels and the artists. Mm -hmm. So go around to the, call the labels, leave demos for the A&R with your phone number on it. You know, you can't do that now. You can't even get in a building now. 
I wonder if you were a 21 year old right now, if you would have been lured away from the, you know, the path you were on to, you know, make inventions and create mechanical stuff and do something other than songwriting, if songwriting would have had the pull for you. Well, again, I, I, I did come into being an entertainer. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, yeah. yeah, you know, but the, the good part about that was I get to do concerts. Well, maybe not anymore, but I did so many charity char for charity concerts. So, I mean, I can come out and do 25 number, you know, big hits. Mm -hmm. How many artists can come out and do that? God, yeah. So I was kind of writing my act as an entertainer. So I came full cycle. And also, when you're coming out as a songwriter, no one's kind of judging you as a, as a, as a performer, as a singer, or as a performer in any way. It's just, hey, he wrote that too, you know, so. Yeah, it's mind-boggling. You know, the, the performer in me has been certainly, you know, satisfied with that. But I, I again, I, I, and I'm really not a big social media guy, so, you know, part of me might say, look into finding an artist and making the record yourself and putting it out there. You know, check that out. I'm just not sure. You know, like, again, collaboration, right? Oh, well, well yeah, if, you know, that's, well, that, that, that's a whole other thing. You have to be able to evaluate your own ability. You know, again, there's three parts to a song. If you're a lyricist, then you, you need to write with someone or someones who know melody and, and chords. And if you are really good at coming up with melody, then you might need to hook up with a lyricist and then maybe even a third party who knows the chords. But... Um, well, that's that's incredible hearing about. Um, uh, I honestly love you, and how if you had written it, it would have been like a three chord straight country thing, and then to have it turn into what it did, which is a lot more baroque. Well, that was that was a big lesson for me on really how how important and how it affects the song, the chord progression, the chords. Mm -hmm. I mean, to me, it's like, you know, maybe I'll hang around here. It could be like a three-chord <laughs> song. And it does. <laughs> and, you know, I, I once I did a, well, without getting, the details aren't important, but a country guy sang I Honestly Love You, country. Hmm. And it's like a whole, it was intended for a guy to sing. Wow. You know, it, it's. It was like, to me, weird casting for a girl to even sing it, but I, it it didn't matter. Maybe it's because it came at that moment during, like the the you know the the blossoming of uh, women's lib, and you know that a woman taking ownership of the the choice or whatever. Maybe, maybe. Man, I I feel like I. I, if you were if you were teaching a class in songwriting that I could go to, I would go to it in a heartbeat. And I feel like I've I've um, I've gotten a master class just in the last hour speaking with you. And I, I really appreciate it, Jeff. Thank you so much for being a part of Wheels Off today. Well, it, it was my pleasure. And if, if I leave your audience with one quick thought, 
as far as teaching goes, when I'm in front of a class, this gets great reaction. Everybody takes out their notes and writes this down. I say, sometimes you have an idea for a song and you write that first verse and that hooky chorus, and now it's time to write that second verse and you don't know what to say. I say, consider this. Maybe you already wrote the second verse because whatever you wanted to say, you got it all out in that first verse. So take a look at making your first verse the second verse and then writing the lead up, the backstory as your first verse. God, that's great. And it really does work because sometimes you, you, you get your emotion all out in that first verse you write so that you've, there's nowhere to go for a second verse to keep it moving. Wow. There, there was an indie rocker in the 90s that I heard. Uh, somebody asked him a question in an interview. What's the, uh, what's the hardest part of songwriting? And he said, oh, the third verse for sure. <laughs> He's like, by the time you get there, you've just run out of anything to say. And um, If you look at it like what I just said was you take the meat of it, make that your second verse. Make the yeah. first, You know, they call the hook, the chorus, the hook. Yeah. So I say that first verse is the bait. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's got to keep you, keep you interested to get to the hook. God, that's great. Tell the backstory. You know, how did you meet? Whatever it was. Then hit them with that big second verse. And then it'll be beginning, middle, and end. The third verse then as a wrap-up will be more natural and come a lot easier. Oh, my God. This is such... If you're... You know, if you're not just writing a kick drum song, yeah, um, where where the vocal's going to be buried and you can't understand it anyway, and it's you know some you know, I'm talking about a song oriented record, yeah, where there's a real song there. Um, then you've got your beginning, your middle, and your end. You're telling a story. You're telling a story, really. You know, it's not once upon a time. But it'll be, it'll come more, it'll flow more naturally if you look at it that way. God, that's great. Ah, Jeff. All right. Um, well, this is fantastic. I, um, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for talking to me. Maybe we should do an online songwriting class. Oh, my God. You know what? I'm going to, I'll approach you about this. I've done a couple of those through the Chicago Old Town School of Folk Music, and well, they're, now, they're now offering online classes. And that would be incredible. I will hit you up. Yeah, but I, I don't know if that's where my audience would be gathered around that fire. You know. The, no, I agree, and it's oh. I, they they call it that, but and mine isn't either. But they just they have a good setup in terms of interface. But there's in any number of places you and I or you could do it. You don't need me, but oh man, I'd I'd love to at least play moderator. Well, love sure. it. Well, I wouldn't want to be out there alone. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, you're so great, Jeff. Thank you so much. Um, thanks oh, for pleasure, and I hope uh, hope your audience uh, got some useful information and possibly inspiration. Well, you know they did. All right, and um, but by the way, I also this is another thing I like to say. I can't necessarily tell you how to win, but I can tell you exactly how to fail, and that's not to try. Nice. What's, my son always quotes the Michael Jordan, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Exactly. I also say you can't hit a home run if you don't swing. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> oh, I love it. Well, you've hit a lot of home runs, man. This is so cool. I, I you know what? Now that we're now that we're wrapping up our interview, I can I can um, confess, I've done like a hundred of these wheels off interviews. I've never been, and this is not a comment on you because you couldn't be like more nice and warm and open. But I've never been more nervous about speaking to someone just because I so admire your work and the way you approach it. So thanks for being so cool and so wow. nice and well, kind. What a, what a very nice, uh, different compliment. Thank you so much. <laughs> that's, that's, that's super cool. All right. Thank you so much, Jeff. All right. Thank you so much for listening to Wheels Off. Please be sure to rate and review the show on iTunes. That helps us appear higher in the search results and lets other folks know that it's a cool podcast to listen to. Also, as the kids say, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere else that you listen to shows like this so that you never miss an episode. This has been Wheels Off, and I'm Rhett Miller, encouraging you to create every day. Thanks, y'all. Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you'd cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effie Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. Oh.